Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails, Unsolved Mysteries Edition. How's everybody feeling? We hope your hearts are full. As always, my name is Lauren Ash, and I am joined by my intrepid researcher's sister, best friend, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? I am great. I mean... Great. Really, just only because this is probably the biggest file I have yet. Ah, I'm so excited. So, I mean, otherwise, like, everything else is whatever, but, like... I'm up in Canada, so who cares about me? How are you and other people in, like, America doing? I'm really worried about you guys right now. Listen, we're doing great. We are recording this, of course. We're still waiting on the election results, obviously, because of, uh, the, you know, the mail-in ballots and all of those things. But mm-hmm. we're doing well. We're staying strong. And uh, I'm very excited to just be into the wine yep. and talking to you. Yep. You know what I mean? Canadian emotional support buddies, right? That's yep. right. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Which is a perfect segue for me to ask you, as I always do every episode, what you drinking? You know what? Today, it just, there felt like there could be no other way than a Palm Bay. What Uh, I like is that I was trying so hard for that to rhyme. Did it, I oh, mean it rhymed, but it wasn't as it wasn't as smooth as a Pombe. Here's what I like: people have asked on our social media yeah. if we can share a recipe that can kind of recreate a Pombe, yeah. and I, first of all, I just got to say, I love this. Yes. Second of all, here's what I'm going to say as a general uh, suggestion. Okay. And I want to know your opi- your opinion yeah. on this, Christy. I in America, you can get your hands on black cherry fresca. Oof. It's one of my faves. Mm-hmm. If you do a black cherry fresca with vodka and lime, oh. I think it's kind of close. Okay. Yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. think? Because I mean, another thing that I like, I think it was when I think we used fresca and then yeah. like a little cran cherry juice. Oh, with like 
a little bit of vodka and some lime. I think that was a, a combination I've liked before. And it's similar. It's, it's hard because it's, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm going to get in that kitchen. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to start pouring things. We're going to see what's going to happen. What enrages me more than anything yeah. is that we can't be together to try and get into the test kitchen. You know what I mean? The fact that we can't, like, Insta-story the two of us making a mess I and know. mostly just getting drunk and me being like, look, I made it the same color. And then you'd be like, oh, sweetie, that's water. Like, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's clear. Yeah, I um, feel like that's pretty much what would happen. And Look, the airlines aren't going to know what hits them when it's like when we've got the all clear and, and, you know, things are safe and we don't have to quarantine again because going into Canada, there is a mandatory quarantine. Yeah. Um, which is, of course, keeping me, unfortunately, away because I, I don't have breaks long enough to quarantine for two weeks and then see people. We're going to really, I feel like our own, I feel like our own energy is going to be so manic <laughs> when we're finally in the same room together again. Yeah. That, yeah, we do need to be recording it, if not as a podcast episode, then certainly for social media because it feels yeah. like people are going to want to witness that for sure. Oh, I've already told my husband that the day we are reunited, if it is here, he's going to need to film that for uh, some sort of Insta story. And he's like, all right. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. What it's I fine. love also was was I had the, the idea when we were first starting to launch True Crime and Cocktails, if you go back in our social media, you'll find them. I had these idea for these promo videos, and I had come up with some scripts right. based on funny things that Christy had said to me in text conversation. <laughs> and literally she was like, well, I guess my husband's my camera person. And I was like, I love that this has become a family affair. I have basically forced you and your family into doing this podcast with me. And I am grateful that you have all obliged. Yeah. Well, we got on board. It was, it was, do you want to do this? We're all on board. Yeah. And listen, that when somebody asks me what's what's the most important quality in another person to you, do you know what my answer is? That they're on board. It's somebody yeah. who goes, yep, let's do yeah. it. Not us, not somebody who's like, I don't know. I'm not. No, it's somebody who goes, yep, let's go. Let's do oh, it. Oh, there was definitely an, oh, I don't know at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you hit it from but, me. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was more like the, I don't know if I'm built for this. Like, I just. Yeah, it was around the time that you're like, I think we should film these. I'm like, it's just our voices, right? And you're like, let's put our faces out there. I'm like, oh, maybe. And then it just has, <laughs> it's just now become like a, well, this is just what it is. And just get it on board. And like, it took, I think, recording one episode where I was just like, oh, well, fuck, I'm hooked. <laughs> this time is just, that quick. this time is just so enjoyable. It's like, we're just going to do whatever. And I'm just going to require my family to do whatever, whatever to, to support yeah. it. And they're just on board automatically. And yeah. again, that's, that's what I love. Yeah. I love it so much. Now, in case people are wondering, I've got a co-pilot tonight. You may not have Brandy, but I've got Kimmy C. That's oh. right. Kim Crawford. The Sauvignon Blanc is happening. Mm -hmm. I'm already a couple glasses <laughs> in cause I had a long day at work. <laughs> so this is going to be an interesting, you know, uh, 90 dude, 90 plus minutes. I'm excited to see what happens, but listen, I'm so excited about this episode. Obviously, we're talking about Lady in the Lake, uh, the episode of Unsolved Mysteries. I know you've got a ton of stuff to get I to, do. but I would be remiss if I didn't reminisce. Oh, oh am I a rapper now? Well, I'd you be did, remiss if I didn't reminisce. You did say Kimmy, Kimmy C, and I felt like that Kimmy was C. starting like like the Beastie Boys, but a girl version, you know? 
Oh, yes, please. I'd be remiss if I didn't reminisce about this. It's about us when we were little kids. This is like, (laughs) I'm starting to think that maybe I do have a future as a hip hop artist. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, as a solo artist, because this is not happening. (laughs) There was a reason I, I just I just step back and let that magic happen. I love it. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not going to torture anybody any, uh, any further with that. But so when we were talking about Lady in the Lake uh, over text, I was like, oh, man, like, what are the things about that episode? Obviously, this is something for people who have seen it. If you haven't, uh, just so you know, it's set in the wintertime in, in Michigan, right? Yeah. So it's very cold, very snowy, all of the above. And then I was like, what's a story from our lives that that makes me think of? And what it made me think of mm-hmm. was the Christmas that we all spent together. So again, Christy yeah. is my sister by life, cousin by blood, and we grew up fairly far far apart in Canada. And there was one year, and it's very sad that it was only one year, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was yeah. only one. We've only spent one Christmas together, which like on Christmas yeah. Day, which feels truly like a travesty because we both love it so much. But we were, I want to say I was about 10 at the time. I think we were like 10 and 11. Could be, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and... Uh, we came out, so it was uh, our grandparents mm-hmm. who uh, lived close to my mom and I. Uh, my mom and I, basically like the whole family from your dad's side, which is my mom's side, yeah. all came together for Christmas in Regina, Saskatchewan. Yes. Thank which, you very much. Yeah. I mean, there's a, it's it's a silly name. We get it. I don't, I don't live it. there personally, so laugh at it all you want. For all of those who like the joke there is a joke around town that uh regina it smells like it sounds <laughs> <laughs> that is vile yeah. and i'm here for yeah. it so is kimmy c yeah. i love yeah. it uh so yeah so we came up for that christmas and then i was trying to think of like what were the highlights of things that i remember and the things that i remember were like Order we ordered pizza. pizza on christmas yeah. eve and it took like four hours to get yep. there. And there was a joke that was being made that it was like, what do you think this is? Christmas? Yep. Which I thought was hilarious. I remember you got a, a genie. This was around the time of Aladdin. Yeah. And you got a genie, like a plush genie yeah. that like scrunched down into the little lamp. Yep. I remember I got a pair of figure skates for for Christmas. Mm-hmm. But this is the joke. So I, I have to to walk the, the listeners through this a little bit. So Christy and I were texting about this. <laughs> and- I was like, hey, remember this and these fun memories? And Christy was like, oh, I remember that Christmas. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And then she reminded me, and I completely forgot that this happened. Mm-hmm. But, uh, again, this is really, unfortunately, <laughs> I would say the highlight, but I guess the low light of the story. <laughs> so, so to keep yeah. for context, like, how many people were in the house for uh, Christmas? There was a lot. Yeah, because right. I think eight adults right. so and then was... five kids. Right. Yeah. Right. So there was that's a chunk of people. Yeah. And and again, this is this is a family that doesn't necessarily all get together. I think that was one of the f- very few times ever that we were all together. Probably. Yeah. And uh, we had come for, I don't know, maybe a week. I'm not sure. I, I don't remember all of the details, but it should be noted that our family mm-hmm. and this is true of us certainly to this yeah. day like we make a big deal out of airport trips so yes. if i'm flying in to uh to visit christy she'll always be there with signs for me which i love if she's flying in here to la i'll be there with signs or a crazy costume or something we love kind of um that aspect of travel yeah. 
And I didn't realize that it was probably rooted <laughs> in what happened at that Christmas that we shared yep. Yep. all those years ago. So yeah. we're heading, I mean, I, I guess maybe you can walk us through it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not the first trauma I've shared on this. Nope. Won't be the yeah. last. Nope, no, I got plenty. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I don't remember exactly at what point. I don't know if you guys stayed through the new year or not, but we needed to get all of these people to the airport. And right. we didn't have a single vehicle, obviously big enough for everybody. So we had to take multiple vehicles. So it was probably like eight people going to the eight of the 13 people have to get to the airport at the same time. For context. Yes, but also like uh, the five of us are going to go so we can say our official goodbye before you guys go. Because right. who knows when we're going to get to right. see you next or whatever. So of course we're all going to go. So we tried to get 13 people into vehicles. And I think there were at least like three, four vehicles with people in it. I don't know. Yeah. And there's a reason I don't know. So my dad, I distinctly remember was like, Hey, we're going to the air. We're we're getting ready to head out, and uh, it has been ingrained in me since my very very young years that if you're about to leave the house, you better go tinkle first. Of Drain course. the tank. Make sure you're good to go. Yep. So I yep. hear you don't want to be the one pulling the car over. I yes. got you. So I'm like, okay, I need to pee. I'll get that done. Then we're gonna head right out. So I go to the bathroom. Come out. And it's just silence. <laughs> oh and I'm like, gosh. wait, what? And I I like look around and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Everybody's outside. And I go out to the garage and there is not a vehicle to be seen. <laughs> so that was the moment I realized that I got home alone. You got home alone. I got alone. home alone. The unfortunate part of it is... There was no Catherine O'Hara screaming my name and passing out. <laughs> Christy! Yeah, there, there was none of that. They came home right. livid because they thought I had an attitude and didn't want to go. And so I like went somewhere and hid. And I was like, I went to the bathroom and you left without me. <laughs> And I think they felt bad for like a split second, but then it was just like, oh, okay. And then like move on. Like they're not mad at me anymore. But like from my understanding, there were multiple vehicles and everybody yeah. just assumed I was in a different vehicle, which of course, if I can point out, why would I not be in the vehicle with you? Well, this is what I was going to say. I completely forgot about this until you brought this up. And then I was like, oh, yeah, because obviously we were glued at the yeah. hip anytime we were together. Yeah, yeah. And I remember vividly being that for some reason it was like I had to be in one car and you had to be in a different one. And I was trying to voice that it's like, can't we be in the same car? So I think for me, I thought that you were in another car as well. Yeah, see, classic home alone. Like just classically thought home alone. that uh, I was there. And then they found out when they got to the airport, there's only 12. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry no, that it fine. happened. It's tiniest it's really... abandonment issues. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yeah. I think that that is more than yeah. valid to, to uh, justify some less than tiny abandonment issues. Yeah. Um, but... Uh... <laughs> 
I hate to laugh. I'm so sorry, no, but no. it's just so funny to me that when we were trying to think of winter stories, we both thought of Christmas, and I was like, "All oh, the joy," and you were like, "The source of my pain." <laughs> well, from that trip, I also very distinctly remember because there were so many people. We had to sleep on the floor in like the tiniest office known to man, which was like we did. a desk and barely a mattress fit. And that was about it. Yeah. It was just such a tiny room. Um, for anyone our age who would understand these words, that's where we had our Commodore 64. <laughs> that, Thank you I, very much. I rode the Oregon Trail on that more than once. <laughs> That's what computers were before laptops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Well, yeah. you know, very quickly, I remember we were staying in that very, very small office. Yes. I believe I slept, like, under the desk. Oh, I, feel like I think so, too, you were on, like, yeah. a little mattress, and I was, like, on the floor under the desk. Uh, we didn't care. We were, you right. know, pigs and shit. We were just excited <laughs> to be together. But, and I don't know if you remember this, and we haven't talked about this prior to this recording, yeah. but, so we... During that trip, I'm not sure it was during, I think it was during a different trip that we like filmed a bunch of sketches, but we had come up with a bunch of sketches. So we yeah. were like always kind of like doing these bits and these scenes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I remember vividly, this sticks with me to this day. This was around the time that Blind Melon had really popped with their, of course, iconic single No Rain. Mm -hmm. And we were doing a, and, and this is just like two little kids in the dark, keep in mind, pitch black, laying on the floor in this office, doing bits and scenes. And I was pretending to be a talk show host. And you were coming on as, quote, Blind Melon. Because we didn't know the name of the band members. You were just as Blind Melon. And I remember vividly, I was like, Blind Melon, welcome to the show. So nice to meet you. And you responded, all I can say is my life is pretty plain. Which, of course, that is the is... first lyrics to No Rain. And it was so clever and so funny. I it's literally stuck with me to this day that when I think back about that Christmas, that is one of the first things I think of. I can hear your voice. I can hear your intonation in your little voice. And I still think that is a classic, very funny joke. So what you're saying is. I've always been clever. <laughs> yep. Yep. Which is why, again, I felt no hesitation about trying to get to do a podcast with you. I knew you'd bring uh, the goods. Also, I've seen we, it since you were 11. Can you imagine if we could go back in time and tell those kids that you would, you would like, introduce me, and then, like, 30 years later, you'd be introducing me every week? Oh, <gasps> you know? I never even thought of how cute that yeah. is. You're right. We were what? playing talk show back then, and now we're playing a version of a talk show in real life. Yeah. What I love... <laughs> is I uh, you you always have like you are just the best with like memory you're just the best in general but like you have the oh, best with it, uh, memories and so a lot of mine I'm like don't remember that but that Christmas specifically I remember the pizza I remember yep. that tiny tiny office I, yep. I remember being left behind of and course. I remember somebody thought it would be a good idea to put slide whistles in our stockings no, <laughs> that's right I forgot about that completely I specifically remember oh, I had like yes. a dark blue or like a purple one yep. and like that night we're going to bed and we got yelled at for it and it's like then don't oh. give us the instruments if you don't want us to be full of life you know <laughs> absolutely yeah I totally forgot about that yes yeah. 
Yes, I totally remember the slide whistles, and I remember them being the bane of the rest of the house's existence because we were like, yeah. <laughs> there is a reason that my children have never seen one. And listen, you learned, didn't you? Because did. you're like, I don't want to police them. I don't want to give did. them something and then tell them they can't use it. And I think that that's a, a testament to your parenting. I love. I mean, that. I've also never left um, them home alone. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's fine. I'm over it. Well, maybe. Um, last thing I remember about that trip, because you're bringing out great memories, and the last thing I remember is, A, it was the first time I ever had to sit at a kitty table, because I'm, uh, you know, an only child right? yeah, yeah. by birth, and so that was the first time at, at a Christmas dinner, and I was so excited, and it was also the first time that I'd ever had cranberry sauce, because your family did cranberry sauce, but we never did growing up, and I was like, oh, this wow. looks great, and then I was like, I feel so-so about how I feel about this, I don't know if I love it, but the other thing I remember is, us eating our grandmother used to make take ritz crackers and there was the little mini ritz oh, yeah. and she would toss them in like a ranch salad dressing powder and something called salad oil i know this because i have the recipe from her kitchen yeah. and i tried to find quote salad oil couldn't as an adult used olive oil instead gotta tell you something not great <laughs> doesn't do it not what you want it to yeah. be but i remember like we would keep a uh Tupperware of these tossed crackers in the fridge so they were very cold and I remember there's pictures of us for that Christmas and in multiple pictures my little hand is (laughs) full of crackers because I was just constantly (laughs) eating those crackers constantly just like a little bird yep there we go god that Christmas really comes back to our lives now it really does it really does we're the same people and listen Hundred percent. Who we are? Hundred percent. Welcome to the show. All I can say is my life is pretty plain. That brilliant. That funny. God, it was funny. Was it really was a good. good joke. Again, it stuck with me till now, which I love. Uh, but anyway, so that was, of course, the story that that uh, the winter made me think of, and I loved. And also, I'm so sorry to rehash. Of course, you were home aloneing. <laughs> Not ideal. We would be remiss if we didn't reminisce about this. I gotta stop. No, uh, I'm loving it. Uh, look um we're gonna get into the episode because you have told me that you have a lot to get through and i could not be more excited this is actually my personal favorite of the new episodes of unsolved mysteries yeah yeah i i i know that you really loved uh death in oslo and i i I, which i did too don't get me wrong but this one lady in the lake really did it for me and so i'm so excited to find about find out about everything that you've you found in your deep dive. Uh, just a quick reminder for anybody listening, uh, any visuals Christy references are going to be available in a case file on our Instagram account at True Crime and Cocktails. There'll also be an even more extensive case file on our website, truecrimeandcocktails.com. And you can also go to our website if you want to view our unedited Zoom episodes. But again, <laughs> keep in mind, they're unedited, so you get what you get. Without further ado... Yeah. I really want to get into it. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with the episode, I'll give you a brief synopsis like I always do on the show. And then we're just going to dive right in, which I am so excited about. So this episode again, Lady in the Lake. In January 2010, Joanne Matuk Romaine was reported missing when police found her car abandoned outside a church in Gross Point Farms, Michigan. After some very questionable police work... The case was immediately ruled a suicide, despite a lack of evidence. More than two months later, Joanne's body was discovered over 30 miles away, off the coast of Ontario, Canada. So what really happened to Joanne, and why does her family believe the police were involved? I 
can't wait. Now, very quickly, again, for people who maybe aren't familiar with the episode, uh, they get into in the episode showing that there was like a, you know, rocky area that they basically believe, and I know that we'll get into all of this, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get too far ahead, but just for context, the police are basically suggesting that Joanne walked into a frozen lake and just kind of walked to her death. Yeah. Like walked down an icy, snowy kind of little hill into the water and then just willed herself to to to, to stay in and get hypothermia and die. The whole thing felt very odd to me. She has a lot of very kind of shady characters in her family. And so I cannot wait, truly, to find out uh, about what you found out. Yeah. Now, again, Joanne uh, Matuk Romaine was a mother. She was very beloved. A lot of people in the episode talked about how she was so fun. And it was kind of one of those things where it was like, we just don't think she would have committed suicide. And again, to me, I, I don't know. Maybe there are. And maybe you have information on this. I don't know. Is there is walking into a frozen lake and and just kind of willing yourself to to drown? Is that a normal suicide method? I would say I think that that's rare if that's true. I did not specifically research that and that. I mean, I I'm think looking <laughs> well, at I think it now. We know the answer. Looking at it now, I guess I I should have known that could be a question I would be asked. But oh, I mean, I think we can. I think it's fair to say that people aren't. Yeah. I don't think that that's a traditional suicide method. Right. I think we can say that even without researching it. I don't know that people are like, I'm going to, you know, awkwardly walk down a hill into a lake. Yeah. And then it's also very, I mean, from the little bit that I know <laughs> about some forensics, <laughs> um, it's it's difficult to drown yourself in general. Like your body fights takes it. over yeah. at points and fights it. So the idea that it's like, oh, she kind of randomly decided one night, oh, I'm going to go walk into a frozen lake and just will myself to give over to the, the mm-hmm. you know, the hypothermia mm-hmm. and then drown feels bizarre to me. Yeah. So I throw it to you where you want to start, what you got for us. I can't wait. Um, okay. Well, I say we'll, we'll do a quick rundown of the ba- of the evening that she goes missing right. just for especially anybody who maybe hasn't seen the episode in a few days or some people who haven't seen it at all. So yeah, you'd already mentioned Joanne, um, considered everyone's second mom. Her children were her everything, a devout Catholic, which again, a devout Catholic usually isn't the type to kill themselves. And also a quick aside, I did like look at that lake on a Google map today because I wanted to look at the church and I'm, I'm researching this till the bitter, bitter, like last second before I, you know, because uh, I want to make sure I get everything. I love it. But f- even from a Google map, you can see most of the bottom of that lake. So that lake's not deep. Right. So it's just uh, that, I mean. it's Again, it just doesn't add up. Yeah, yeah, but also she went and filled her gas tank. And then just was like, well, now that I've done that, I can die. Like, what? that's not a thing. There's just, no. oh, there's a lot. Okay, so January 12th, 2010. Yes. Around 6 p.m., Joanne drops her son, Michael, off at home. Uh, she's like, I'm going to go get gas. I'll be right back. At 6.25, she's at a gas station. The manager spoke with her, so he confirms it, and he has CCTV footage confirming she was at the gas station. Okay. So just after 7, around 7.05, she goes to St. Paul's Church, uh, to a short prayer service. 
Right. Uh, this apparently, even though she hadn't told her kids she was going, this is a very, this is not uncommon for her. She was very into yeah, the church, like she right? was going she went multiple times a week. In a she week. was having some yeah. rocky things in her marriage, which we'll get into. <laughs> I can't wait. So yeah, so she, she was needing some Jesus. That was... <laughs> terrible i love it so 7 15 she's seen by multiple people leaving the church at 9 25 the police show up at the at the romaine house and say your mother is missing wait less than two hours later yeah oh yeah we're gonna get into that don't you worry yeah don't you i worry. already have questions because that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever don't you worry brandy may not be here this week but Christy's gotcha. <laughs> I can't wait. They show up at 925. They're like, oh my God, she's missing. The family freaks out. They call uh, one of her brothers. They go to the crime scene. At 951, the Coast Guard is on the crime, is at the crime scene. Uh, they had helicopters and boats and all of this. And they searched for three days and couldn't find her. The police immediately were like, well, it is very obviously suicide. She obviously went from her car, walked all that way, and left. The thing is, it's like almost from approximately, I didn't print it out, but I will post it online. The Google map from where she would have parked to get to the lake is almost 200 feet. And she had to cross two lanes of traffic. And the, the embankment to get to the lake was very like angled and sharp. And she would have had to like walk drop five feet walk a little bit drop again and then go and she was in heels and she was a tiny little thing i think she was like 410 or something and on heels i don't know i i don't know what her height had to do with anything in this moment i'm just really excited to get all this well, information out no yeah i think that that's valid i think that that's relevant though because well first of all someone who's who's you know women who are that short do tend to wear heels a lot yeah. but that being said you're not you're not traversing a extremely steep kind of heel mm -hmm. hill and heels even if you're you know again a, a regular heel wearer yeah. is my point which i'm i think she was that doesn't mean that you're like just easy like you're not like running marathons and, and climbing mountains in high heels it's just not absolutely doesn't happen the coast guard searches for three days nothing comes up the police are still like oh well what a shame you see suicides all the time but it's like well if she jumped in the lake there was no current it was only a couple of feet deep at that time, so she would have been easily found. Plus, right. she was wearing all black, so you could have spotted her with, like, spotlights, again, and stuff, like, from the helicopters and stuff like that. So, like, again, if she was there, they would have found her right away. Right. So then cut to 70 days later, on March 20th, two fishermen find a body off of Boblo Island, which is near Amherstburg, Ontario it's 35 miles away from where the church is they okay. use dental records to confirm it was Joanne and then the autopsy COD that I put in my notes cause of death yeah, COD we're getting better at this is listed as drowning so okay. okay and then cut to June of 2014 four years later Joanne's estate uh, which was more spearheaded by her oldest daughter, Michelle, filed a wrongful death lawsuit against uh, the city of Gross Point Farms and 16 separate police officers 
including uh, Joanne's cousin, Tim, for the uh, shoddy handling of the case. How shoddy, you ask? Let me tell you. Cannot wait. So. Cannot wait. There are numerous inconsistencies in this just bungled entire investigation. Yeah. So the police contacting the family. Yeah. What's that about? There's a cop named Andy Rogers. He was the first person to notice the car. He sees the car parked in the parking lot. The church seems dark. Of the church. Yeah, he seem, the church seems dark. So he, he in his mind, he's like, that's weird that there's a random car there. So he runs the plates. They Every time they do stuff on police computers, it logs a time. So the time is logged at 8.58. He runs the plates, decides, meh, no action needs to be taken. Moves on with his life. Now, Michelle says that a police officer arrived at their home at 925 to tell them that their mother was missing because they ran the plates and found out that she was that she wasn't with the car. However, the police claim that that actually happened at 1030. So the police are giving like a completely different time frame on this. Somebody, well, one of the cops also ran the plates again later, like at 9.53, a different cop runs the plates. But my thing, Michelle has a good point in that, okay, let's say maybe she's off by the time. I don't believe she is. But the police showed up at her door and were like, we're, we're concerned about Joanne. Have you seen her? Because we think she's missing. And they said this because they found the car and they ran the plates. Well... That car she was driving is registered to Michelle. So why would the cops run, if the cops run the plates, it's not going to come up Joanne. So they should have gone to the house looking for Michelle, but they didn't. They also claim they never asked about Joanne. They just came looking for the owner of that vehicle and Joanne happened to come up in conversation. Yeah, there's be, oh, there's just so much sketchy with the police in this one. Well, the one very quickly, yeah. I just want to say, first of all, I don't care how small the town is. I don't know that, that, that the police are going to someone's home to to if a car gets left in a parking lot, a car gets left in a parking lot. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I've I'm from a small town. If you leave your car somewhere, you leave your car somewhere. I've never in my life heard that police are going to be following up and going to your door. The other thing mm-hmm. that I think we know is true of real life police work. And if we've seen anything in television and movies Unless someone's been missing for 24 hours, they, they are not considering it a missing person. So the fact that they're they they're apparently saying we saw this car unattended yeah. for at most at that point a couple of hours. Yeah. Also, like, are they watching the car for a? How do they know how long it was there? Like, this yeah. just feels out of the gate. Mm-hmm. There is so much shadiness. Go ahead, right. get to your next. Thing. Um. Well, there's a lot. The the other thing that I feel backs up. The um, I will touch on what you said uh, in a moment. Yeah. Uh, something that I feel helps prove that I feel like Michelle is right, that the police arrived at 930. She said once police even gave the suggestion that her mother might be missing, her and her sister just immediately started calling their mom's phone. They called her multiple times and she didn't answer. Right. Cell phone records 
show that there were 13 calls made from the kids to the mother's cell between 9.29 and 10.32. Eight of those calls were before 10 p.m. So they were informed before 10 p.m. So the yes. cops giving this bullshit is just... 10.30 is bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be. So there's uh, the other hitch in it. They've had to go um, and do uh, depositions and all this kind of stuff for this. And there was a cop who gets on the stand, Daryl Fisher. And he's like, I was at their house at 1030 to notify them. To which Michelle responds, that was not the cop. That guy didn't come to my door. He's a completely different height, different hair color, different build, everything. But they're like, no, we don't know what you're talking about. That's the cop that was here. So I don't know who she would have talked to, but something's not right. Bringing it back to your point, Joanne's car was left for less than two hours. And this is also her brother, John. His point was like his nieces call him and they're like, your your sister's missing. We don't know what's going on. So he shows up. He picks up the girls, goes to the crime scene. He said that the clock on his car said 10.07 when they arrived. So again, another person who's confirming Michelle's timeline as opposed to the police's timeline. So he's like, but wait, her car's there for less than two hours. It is not unusual for her to go to church and then go with a friend out for something to eat, come back and get her car. And he's like, we never declared her missing because she wasn't missing to us. So suddenly, somehow, two hours later, police had helicopters. They had divers in the water. They had caution tape around the car. They had all of this. And the family was still like, wait, how do you know she's missing? That's yeah. so bizarre. And again, yeah, wow. I, I don't even, I, it's, it, it's, again, this yeah. is, this case is, is it gives oh, because that's bizarre. It, it somehow just continues to get more insane. So the, the police are asked how they came across the car. So sure. they said it was during a routine patrol. So Michelle and the family decide they get a private investigator And that private investigator decides to test this theory. So on three separate occasions, this investigator leaves a car parked in the exact same spot where Joanne's car was for like, they leave it overnight. They leave it the same. Uh, Her purse was found in the passenger seat with money in the wallet. They left a money, a wallet with money in a purse on the passenger seat in the car. Exact same situation. They left it there three separate times, varying the times and the days, and it didn't get so much as a parking ticket. See, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm saying. This is wild already. And the fact that she has a cousin in the police force, and I know Mm -hmm. the episode got into that there was some, you know, uh, animosity, tumult Mm -hmm. between them. Animosity. Thank you for that. Um, Wow. This is crazy. So... Okay, mm-hmm. so the police inform the family. Yeah. We're not sure how true or false this is. It's clearly, it seems like bullshit yeah. that they're like, we're so concerned because we see this car. What's next? So the cops decide, well, we, uh, like, to them, they're also trying to make this seem logical, where they're like, they find a car. They see that there's a purse inside. The doors are locked. There's no one around. They run the plates, tell the family, and immediately call the Coast Guard and go, oh my God, somebody's in the water. 
because the police... That's, cra- that's such a leap. It's insane. The police are always trying to mitigate panic. The police are like, yeah. their whole thing, if you're like, oh my God, my child's missing. They're like, calm down. They probably ran away. <laughs> like, You know what yeah. I mean? Like, It's bizarre to me that it was like... Yeah, okay. I know I'm preaching in the yeah. choir here and everyone that's listening is like, let Christy get to it, Lauren. <laughs> Shut up. I get it. I get it. I will. No, no, it it makes absolute sense. Because in this case, they're like, oh my God, your mother is missing. Do you not care that your mother is missing? Like, but it's like, but she's, she wasn't to them at that point because they didn't realize because she'd barely been gone. Neither here nor yeah. there. So the, the same officer who first ran the plates just before nine o'clock he decided not going to do anything about it. The car is fine. But then somehow that same officer, 30 minutes later, called the Coast Guard looking for help finding a missing woman in the water. So the police, now the Coast Guard automatically is like, how do you know somebody's in the water? Like the Coast Guard is more calm and not going to be quick to jump at it. And they're like, right. they falsely stated, and this is information I'm getting from the... um the, the court case brought against the city by Michelle. This is their all their evidence that the police just, for lack of better terms, fucked up. Yeah. So they told the Coast Guard that Joanne had been missing since 5 o'clock. Nobody in her family had reported her missing. And at 5 o'clock, she was with her family somewhere. So they, they were like, well, no, obviously it wasn't that. So, okay. Uh, this officer later claims he placed the call at 10.30, but the Coast Guard has it logged at 9.30. So again, the Coast Guard is with the family. They have a specific timeline. The cops just keep claiming otherwise. So the Coast Guard gets this call. They are out the gate, dispatched at 9.38, arrive on the scene at 9.51. They have helicopters, boats, divers. The the timestamp shows it was 9.51, but yet the cops are claiming they didn't call them for another 40 minutes. Okay, so very quickly, just quick pause. So her car is found around 200 feet from this lake. Yes. And what you're telling me is that the police saw a car in a church parking lot, were like, who owns this car, and then immediately started canvassing the area to to see if there was anything... That didn't make sense. And they somehow found footprints in the snow leading to the lake. Like, like that's such a leap. Like, yeah. why would they all of a sudden start searching the area when they've just seen a car that was unattended? Uh, and and, and yeah. the fact that then they were saying that, like, mm-hmm. but this, and to what, to your point. So around the same time that we know that they actually did notify the, the family that Joanne was apparently missing right. is around the same time that they're calling the Coast Guard yeah. saying, you need to get down here. Because we've stumbled upon finding these random footprints in the snow? Like, how do, how do they even prove that? That's, that's, this is, and you know what? I'm just going to say very quickly, and I know I'm getting way ahead of myself, but if people are setting up a murder, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doesn't it seem crazy that they were so eager? Like, if you've, if you've set up a murder, then just let the family file the missing person. Let it play out. You buy yourselves time. Like, yeah. what is... Anyway, none so, of it so makes, skipping back. None of it makes sense. But they, but so when they called the Coast Guard, they, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. they're saying, 
this person has been missing and we found footprints in the snow leading to the lake. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. We are going to get to the footprints in one sec. One thing I just want to point I'm out. I'm so sorry. No, of course, no. Please. I I like that you're inquisitive. I'm just fired yeah, up because well, I, I, it's, it's it's wild to me that it's like the implication that cops would see a, un, an, uh, you know, unattended car yeah. and then we have to search the area. Yeah. No, it's, that doesn't it's happen. It's ridiculously sketchy. The thing of it is I did read somewhere, although it may have been on the show and I could be wrong. I do a lot of stuff. So it's just, <laughs> I do course. a lot of research and watching things and reading. So I can't ever keep straight where I get some stuff. But um, a, a former cop had said, once the cops decide that something is a suicide, suddenly from then on, they don't look for specific evidence they're looking every time they look at evidence they're like how does that prove this was a suicide right and the cops fully admit in all of this that they showed up and within minutes were like well it's clearly a suicide and it's like well clearly it's not which i'll get to that later but something i find mind-blowing so the call that this officer made at 9.30 to the Coast Guard to say, hey, we need help with a woman in the water. Yeah. Was the second call that the Coast Guard had received that evening about a woman in the water. An identical call came in at 6 p.m. reporting a woman going into that very same lake beside that very same church earlier and the family claimed they were in a frantic state looking for her. And this is a completely different person and family. They don't know who that family is. They have right. no record of these people. I don't know if they ever actually looked up, looked into this. It feels like multiple people were setting this up. They had the plan all along that they were going to get her and claim she was in the water. Somebody jumped the gun and called and was like, oh my God, you have to do something. And then they were like, we haven't done it yet. And then, or let me throw this out there. What if, what if that call was real and the footprints and stuff that they see in the snow leading to the lake is from that woman who potentially did go into the water for whatever reason, got herself out, did or didn't, who knows. And then when the police come and are looking around the area, they go, oh my God, look at this. There's this convenient, these footprints leading to the lake. We can use this to our advantage. Maybe. Okay, let's put a pin in that because we're now going to talk about the footprints. Let's get into it. So, police claim that there were women's shoe prints leading from the parking lot to the edge of the water. Okay. Crime scene photos show the pavement was dry. So how could there be footprints in the snow when there's no snow? They also claimed that at the edge of the water where there was snow... You yeah. can see two, it looks like some, like two people sat down in the snow for like a half-ass snow angel kind of thing. Because it looks like an ass and some feet, some legs coming out. Uh, two sets and of And two sets. Got it. Um, and then there's a bunch of shoe prints. And one of the detectives said it was apparent to be a small high-heeled boot. Number one, when you see a high-heel print, why do you automatically assume it? A, it it's a boot? She was wearing high-heeled boots, but how would you know that if great point if you didn't know what she was wearing when she went great missing? Point. Number yep. two, they have crime scene photos. There are no high heels in the snow. There are boot marks, but 
but she was a size five shoe. So her feet were tiny. Right. There are no tracks that match this. Also, they never measured or molded or casted any of those footprints at the scene. And they didn't measure, mold, or cast the actual boots she was wearing when she was found. So they did like as little so, as possible. <laughs> and so the bottom line is, is that it's, you'll love this. Yeah. yeah I'm putting on my law and order hat for a oh, minute. Dum, so dum. that it's speculation. Yeah. It's speculation. Thank you very much. It's <laughs> yeah. speculation. If there's no proof, yeah. if there is no pictures, casts, molds, etc., mm-hmm. then it's somebody's, you know, apparent testimony. But that doesn't mean that it's true. That That's speculation. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm going to come out and say it. And listen, I don't want the letters, but go with me on this for a second. Yeah. I think that there are probably many people of both genders, of all genders, I should say. There's more than two. Uh, of sure. all genders that would probably agree with me. That I don't know that I trust a male police officer to know what a high heel footprint even looks like. These aren't detectives. These are beat cops. Do they really have a real keen sense of what is a boot versus a shoe versus a heel versus whatever? Give me a break. Unless you've got the proof, unless you've got the evidence, mm-hmm. I'm not buying any of it. Yeah. I agree with that completely. They also claimed that there was a hole in the ice. And that you could see, like, they they see the car. They, for some reason, think, first thought, we're going to go 200 feet to the lake. They see these prints in the snow. And then they see a hole in the ice. And they're like, well, obviously somebody went in. Well, again, crime scene photos prove there was no hole in the ice. There was some, like, cracked ice. But there was not a specific hole that showed somebody had gone in. So there is something very wrong. The other thing is they also claim like with these butt prints in the snow, and this is going to get a bit rude, but I bring myself into it. So I feel like it balances it out. The two butt prints seemed like relatively narrow and like no shade whatsoever. But sure, Joanne was not a, she was not a trim woman. She's, she was a curvy lady. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I say that I'm a I'm a big girl. <laughs> I got an ass on me, you know? And Listen. Uh, so I know damn well I wouldn't make that impression in the snow. So it's shocking to me that they see that and they're like, well, clearly that was her getting in the snow and then going down this like harrowing trip in like a snow ice condition in high heels well- to get to a lake. Like there's there's no way. And I got to say, no way. I got to say, if you found two sets of, quote, butt prints, then why on earth mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. you assume that that's a suicide? Yep. If you're saying, we know for sure that somebody walked along here and these butt prints, et cetera, yeah. uh, and there's another person and here's all the proof, then, then to me, if nothing else, you can't immediately rule it a suicide if there was another person present. No. According to their own evidence, right? Yeah, that's the thing that kills me is they say one thing and their photos prove the opposite, but they still right. manage to get away with it. Right. There's also, when they found the car, they took it to the to a garage at the station and literally just like threw dust around it, like in like the fingerprint, like to fingerprint it or whatever. They just like, it's smeared everywhere. I'm not a professional. I don't know how to do it. However... The seats in that vehicle were leather and vinyl or one of the two. 
And apparently when it comes to those kind of seats, you can't dust them normally because they're kind of corrugated. You're supposed to take a photo with very specific lighting after you fume the interior with super glue, apparently. I don't know. Interesting. But that was never done. They also claimed the only fingerprints they collected in the vehicle were of Joanne and her children. But Joanne and every like and all of her children, none of them have ever been fingerprinted. None of them have a job with the government, which requires you to have fingerprints on file. So they don't have fingerprints for these people to match. But they they were like automatically. Nope. They're just all people in the family, which is insane. Uh, They never tested the vehicle for any kind of DNA. There was a purse found in the front seat. The wallet had 1500 cash in it, which I also find Whoa. crazy. Like, do people normally carry that kind of money around? No, right? I don't it feels think so. there's something yeah. off about that, but we're going to skip right past it because we've got so much other good stuff. I couldn't think of how to call it. And we've got, we've got a lot of good coming up that we're just going to skip over that really weird thing. And if someone wants to look into that further themselves, by all means, let sure. us know what you find. So this wall, the wallets in the purse, the purse was like, it had like, like leather fringe, almost like leather pieces around it. One of those pieces was ripped. So it looked like someone tried to grab it and got this one section of it and ripped a part of it. The police claim it, the strap isn't broken. That's the first sign that it's there. Someone was trying to mug you. When Joanne's found, she has... Uh, bruises on her left arm which is the arm she would have carried her purse on so her kids are like well somebody probably tried to grab it grab this part of the purse instead accidentally ripped it but the police didn't fingerprint the purse they didn't test it for DNA they did nothing they were like no it clearly wasn't that there's no way she was taken or any sort of robbery because the purse would have been scattered on the ground there would have been scuff marks or drag marks or something somewhere so clearly that's not what happened. Her her keys, her cell phone, and her rosary beads were missing. But they found, but the purse and the wallet and everything else were there. And the car was Interesting. locked. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. Wow. Okay. So there's, there's so much at play right now. Yeah. And I know that we're trying to get through so much information so quickly because you've got so much of it, which is amazing. But I think we do need to take a very quick break. Refresh your drink. Have a go to the bathroom, do what you got to do, and we're going to come on back to hear more information that Christy has uncovered about Lady in the Lake. What's up, everybody? This is Lauren Ash, and I hope you are enjoying this episode of True Crime and Cocktails Unsolved Mysteries Edition. A couple of quick reminders. If you're looking for any of the visuals Christy mentions in this or any of our episodes of the podcast, make sure to follow us at True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram. There she posts a case file with all the relevant visuals for each episode of the show. If that's not enough for you, you want a little bit more, go to our website, truecrimeandcocktails.com. There, Christy posts extensive virtual case files. This is literally everything she finds in her research. It's a treasure trove of deep dives, and it's all there for your enjoyment. Also on the website, you can find our full unedited Zoom episodes of the show if you'd like to watch rather than listen. And make sure to give us a follow on Facebook at True Crime and Cocktails, 
Twitter, at NotDetectives. And the most important piece of information, if you like the show, please, wherever you listen to it, give us a nice rating. Go on to Apple, leave us a nice review. I know it sounds like a silly cliche, but the truth is, it really goes a long way in this crazy podcast world, and your support means the world to us. But enough about all that. Get yourself another drink, sit back, and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to True Crime and Cocktails. We are, of course, discussing the Unsolved Mysteries episode called Lady in the Lake. I am living for this because, again, this was my personal favorite of this new volume of episodes. So we've been talking a lot about how the police seem to have been bungling this case. Do you have anything to add or or continue on in that kind of vein uh, that you've discovered? I do. <laughs> I love it. One of the big things in this to me... Uh, there are going to be multiple big things, but this is one of them. Okay. That uh, the police dismissed multiple witnesses. Oh. So the show had mentioned some of them. First, we've got a woman, don't know her name. Minutes after Joanne left the church at 720, this witness hears Joanne's car alarm go off. Or she hears a car alarm go off. It goes for about 15 seconds and then it's quiet. But, like, Joanne had just left, so the odds of it probably being her car, I mean, come on. Right. Uh, But the police were just like, it was nothing. Right. We've got a second witness named Mary Louise. At 7.35, she left the church and said there was not a single car in the parking lot. So that suggests Joanne actually left, or at least her car left. Right. But yet it was found in the parking lot. Whether it was the exact same spot or not, I think it was very close. Right. But it's just weird that she would go and then come back. So there's a third woman that she said when she left the church, she saw an underdressed man in a black scarf along the edge of the lake. So across those two roads. Right. The police discovered a black scarf. On the road, it was around the median in between the two roads. They collected it as evidence, did not DNA test it in any way, and then just like donated it to Goodwill a couple years later. Are you kidding? I am not. (laughs) Oh, that's, you know what? I'm going to say I think that's the wildest thing that I've heard you come up with yet out of every Mm -hmm. episode that we've done. A piece of evidence, they don't test it and then decide to donate it years later. That is wild. I mean, to be fair, with her purse that was sitting right there, they didn't even bother fingerprinting it or anything. Like the the purse, they see the purse is ripped. They're like, but that it's not ripped in the same place muggers usually do it. And it's like, okay. But you see a purse, it has a tear in it. They're like, it's just an old purse. Well, it was a new purse. She'd only had it for like six weeks or something. So it doesn't matter how long she's had it. You see a purse in a vehicle that's alone. It's ripped. Your thought should be, this is part of the evidence. It gets, everything gets taken into evidence. And why not listen to the witness that said that they came out and that car was gone. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. the car has come back. It feels again like police are really following a narrative that they wanted to follow. And I'm sure that you've got more to talk about that. That's wild. The fact that there was a man seen in a scarf and then they found the scarf and they never DNA tested the scarf and then gave away the scarf. 
they even oh went my God. to the they even went so far like if they're going to do this shitty of a job just don't say you found a scarf yeah it's 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 in the report that they were like we found this scarf they've logged it in all of this but then admitted they did nothing with it and then just got rid of it so this is just bananas but we've we've then got a fourth witness please his, continue his name, his name is Paul Hawk he was driving past the church on Lakeshore Drive, which is where the the two lanes of traffic she would have had to cross to supposedly get in the lake. He's driving. He sees a woman with dark hair and black clothing sitting on the edge of the lake. He sees two vehicles parked illegally on the lake side of the road. One is the silver Lexus that she was driving, and one is a dark blue, maybe black Crown Vic big yeah. car yeah uh also very similar to like old style police kind of especially unmarked police car right right, right. he also saw two men that were standing near these vehicles he he thought something didn't seem right because the woman seemed like she was kind of slumped a little bit and something just didn't feel right cause especially because they're parked illegally and in such a weird spot so he slows down to talk to them and instead they just kind of like wave him through so he was like based on the vehicle and these two guys and the way they were acting he just assumed they were cops so he's like okay and he left he later days later hears the reports of joanne missing right so he goes to the police station and is like hey i saw this incident the detective who i'll get back to in a second said oh well this isn't even our case she lives in the woods. We're the farms. If you see those guys again, let us know. Oh, uh-huh. boy. Uh-huh. You know, I just want to go uh, very quickly on record yeah. as saying there is nothing that terrifies me more than crooked cops. Than a dirty cop. Yep. It mm-hmm. is in the top three of my biggest life fears. I know that sounds yeah. hilarious, but that is so yeah. chilling to me. Because well, it's we tr- terrifying because it's it's possible and it's been proven to be a thing. Absolutely. And listen, I yeah. know that and we're not going to get into because there's a lot obviously in that arena. <laughs> we're not we're not going to start to open that kettle of fish. But I will just say that that again, for me, I guess it also feeds into one of my other fears, which is being committed, committed, um, committed, convicted of a crime that I didn't commit. That's one of my biggest fears mm-hmm. in life, which mm-hmm. I know is crazy, <laughs> weird, but oh this falls into that. I would love that. to see you in that movie, though. I would be You amazing. would nail that. Nailing it. Um, yes. Hello, Golden Globes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. But, no, this is, that's chilling to me, that there is this person that's mm-hmm. like, I saw these people, the, the car seemed like this the dude seemed like this and then they were like oh yeah don't even worry about it like a woman has died yeah wow yeah okay well again in their minds they made up their mind within minutes of getting to that crime scene that it was suicide but there was no crime scene that's the thing for me is that it's like they created a crime scene they did You, you found a car that was unattended i want to remind you listen and i know that i live in a big city but my friend nikki shout out to nikki she and i one time went to 
went to Universal City Walk. We got into the wine. We went up to a security guard. And we're like, can we leave our cars here? And they were like, yeah, you can. And we took Ubers or taxis at the time. This was a long time ago. And Very we came back smart. and got our car the next day. My point being that it's like, it's not abnormal for people to leave their cars places. I know this was a church parking lot. I'm not saying she was drunk on wine, on church wine or anything like that. But I just feel like it's really odd to me to even call it like a crime scene no one had had reported this woman missing it's all coming from within i know i'm preaching to the choir please continue with what you got for me next because i'm dying for this and i know you're saying uh you're in a bigger city i have absolutely again my story is also about drinking too much sure so it says a lot about uh, our DNA, I'm sure. Of course. I went to a party. I wasn't expecting to drink. Right. I thought I'd maybe have one. So I'm like, I'll drive. That's fine. Well, I, I, I came alive. And <laughs> next thing I, next thing I know, I can't drive anywhere. So yeah, I left my car. Right. There, this is a common a thing. It's just a the common next day thing. went hung over as hell, went and got my car. So this is not Weird. Again, we are not saying she was drunk. We're just saying the concept of leaving a car somewhere for hours unattended is not the weirdest thing in the world. No, like, it's also it's not like she like is. What about somebody like who's late night at the church doing something, organizing something in the church, or somebody, you know, they're cleaning it, or like I don't know, where are they pastors or something? I don't know. I'm not really religious. In a Catholic church, it would be yeah. priests. Okay. Well, like, what if the what if it was the priest's car, and he because oh, he was there working on a sermon or something? Absolutely. But this That's is my thing, point. Right? Like, oh, ab- yeah, you know, you nailed it. You nailed it. My my only uh, concept of church <laughs> is Footloose. <laughs> of course, but I yeah. want to remind you again, going by your timeline, that we that is fact. She was at this mm-hmm. prayer service at seven o five. She's yeah. she's considered missing at nine twenty five. That is just over two hours. It just doesn't add up. And I know that we keep harping on this, but I can't let it go because to your point, yes, people leave their car places. If, let's say, for example, this car had been left in that parking lot for two to three days, then you know what would happen? The church would call the police and say, hey, there's a car that's been Mm -hmm. left here for two to three days, 48 to 72 hours. That's a reasonable amount of time. A couple of hours? This is cuckoo bananas. Yeah, I even think maybe... uh... If it had been there the next morning, the church might have been like, that's weird that she's very well known there. So that's Joanne's car. That's kind of an odd thing. So even the next morning, I will accept anybody who goes to the church sees it and they're like, that's weird. But like mere hours later, it's crazy. Ridiculous. So this guy, Paul. Yes. um, Paul Hawk. Yes. He he sees these two men. He it should be noted. He grew up with the Matuk boys, like with Joanne's brothers and her cousins, because they came from the same kind of small area. So he went to high school with them. He played sports against them, that kind of thing. When he saw those men briefly, he was convinced that one of them was Joanne's brother, John. He ran into John a couple years later in 2012 at a bar and realized, because he hadn't seen John since... They were like teenagers. Sure. He realized running into him as an adult that he didn't actually look like the guy he had seen. Oh, interesting. So the Romaine family was like, 
well, okay, mainly the children were like, we need you to get with a sketch artist, not get with, oh, Jesus. We need you to to work with a sketch artist. There, there it we is. go. There it is. Just so we can see what you find. It should also be noted, the only way they found out about him was going online years later and um, looking up things that they could get access to based on the Freedom of Inter- Information Act. So the the cops never mentioned this person to them because the the cops said that he's he's not credible. Okay, so just to clarify, yeah. Joanne's kids years later have gone online. They're trying to find more information mm-hmm. about their mom and, and of, of yeah. course, her very unfortunate death. They find, you know, record of Paul Hawk and, and that's how this is all kind of connected. Got it. Yes. And they say, all right, let's work with a sketch artist. Yeah. Okay. He volunteers to do a polygraph with the police. The police say, don't worry about it. They think he's not credible. They don't want to deal with it. The police, by the way, I don't know if, how much you remember of the episode, but the it was the main uh, cop that they interviewed, uh, Detective, I think he's Daniel Jensen. Okay. The second he came on screen, I was like, oh, he has such a hard Dan Aykroyd vibe. Yes. Like it yeah, was yeah, so yeah. Dan yep. Aykroyd doing a bit. And so I'm just going to take us off the rails briefly. Did grandma ever tell you when you were younger that we were distantly related to Dan Aykroyd? Yes! Because because she told me that, and I was like, is it true? And I didn't want to hurt her feelings by questioning it, so I let it go. You know what? It's so funny you bring that up because I completely yeah. forgot about it until this moment. She did mm-hmm. tell me that. Now, she did have, in, my, in our grandparents' house, there were yeah. pictures on the wall, and it was like Daisy Aykroyd. Like, there were Aykroyds definitely in our family tree. But huh. you are inspiring me that I need to look into this because I feel like, again, Please as a do. Second City alum... I am also a Second City alum. That's a story people want to hear. If we are long lost distant relatives, come on. Yeah. And plus, <laughs> my husband really loves Ghostbusters. And that would <laughs> that would get me some cool points. <laughs> cool points. I love yeah. the concept. I love the name cool yeah. points. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that just took away any cool points I already had well, I think but yeah it's fine it's you're fine. doing fine you're doing great but but like come on this guy the second he sat down it was like watching a bit with yes. Dan Aykroyd with sure. the mustache and a wig and just like the grumpy scowl on his face like I've seen that character before and so immediately I was like it's so Dan Aykroyd it's not it's an asshole named uh, Dan Jensen <laughs> And I call him an asshole because he just, like, this guy, yeah, okay. Anyhow, he dismissed a very key witness in my mind. Sure. So, speaking of that witness, I've done this before. I'm doing it again. He worked with a sketch artist. Here we go. Here we go. I will put this on uh, Instagram. Please. True Crime and Cocktails. Please. So we've got this guy. All right. So this is the image right? that he worked with with the sketch artist. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a wide jaw, wide. Very wide jawed man. Very specific nose, right? Yes. So you know, I like to reveal things. She loves it. She lives for it. I do. <laughs> so one of the people who are the sketchiest in Joanne's life is her cousin, Tim. Tim who, Matuk. Who is on the police force. He at the time he was. Yes. He currently works for the uh, 
prosecutor's office as an investigator. Mm-hmm. So he has okay. since left the uh, police force, but at the time he was a cop. So this is what Tim looks like. Again, it'll be on uh, it'll be on Instagram. Stop it! Oh, I'm sorry. Oh do you need to see it God! side by side? Because I can do that. Oh, Come it's this. That's the same person. It's the same. That's guy. the same it's person. The same guy. Hundred percent. So the fact that they're he's related to the to John, who is the guy that the um, witness thought he saw, right. and then years later went, oh, I didn't see him, and then it's like, oh no, you actually saw a relative of his. So I'm full convinced it's him. So I I keep thinking about Dan Aykroyd. That would be so cool. I'm gonna look into this. <laughs> Thank God. I'm gonna look into this. Okay, so we've got the sketch artist. Looks just like this cousin, right? A, a Tim Matuk, identical. Yes. We're going to have to put a pin in Tim, but don't forget Tim, because we're just going to, we're going to put him up there, yep. and we're going to circle back to Tim. Okay. So, we've got all these witnesses. The cops ignore it all. So, the body gets found. They use dental records to identify her. Two days later, there was damage to her fingers from crab bites, which sounds awful. But other than that, her body was like almost pristine for what you would expect. She did have a couple of bruises on her left arm. Again, her kids think somebody grabbed her purse arm because that's always the arm she had it on. Um, She was wearing a jacket zipped all the way up as far up as it could go. And her kids were like, she never zipped up her coat ever, let alone all the way up. So that's very telling. And I get it. I'm, I have known people who don't zip up their coat. Uh, so it makes sense. Like if some if if the kids think something is off, they know her better than anyone. Sure. Absolutely. In her pockets, they found the keys to her car. So then it's like, well, the cops think she she left her car and just went and walked into the lake, which is so fucking bananas. Weird. Absolutely. But somebody left the church and the parking lot was empty. So at some point her car moved. So how did her car move and she had the keys on her in her pocket? And then like she drove somewhere and then went, no, I have to go back. Stopped and then went, I have to get in the lake. Like this is just, that's not real. Like that's not something that happened. That wouldn't even make a good movie. You know, like. (laughs) It would feel odd and implausible, certainly. A hundred percent. So they find, they they get word, the police get word that the body's been found. Two officers, and I'm only naming them because they're asshats, Mike (laughs) McCarthy and Richard Rosati. Okay. They find out this body's in Ontario. They rush to Ontario. They tell the Canadian authorities, and I know this because it was in the Canadian police report, or the incident report, sorry. Because they find the body, they make a report about it. In the report, it says that these two officers told the Canadian authorities that Joanne suffered from mental mental health issues. So again, pushing the suicide narrative. They have nothing to base this on. No. I'm getting ahead of myself, but at one point, um, Joanne's doctors, uh, people who work at her, the law office for her lawyer... Uh, family, friends, co-workers, all of this all made statements that there was no mental health issues. So the police have all of that. But their first go-to was, oh, yeah, she has a mental health thing. So so that, like, 
maybe the coroner would just be like, oh, okay, well, I guess, yeah, it makes sense. So they labeled her as drowned. She just, she, COD, cause of death, drowned. Her body comes back to Michigan. A second autopsy happens. This time, talk about asshats. Here she goes. She's, when she gets in close, you know that, I She's know, fired it's up. real, it's real, it's real. Dr. Daniel Spitz. <laughs> he is the M.E. for Macomb County in Michigan. Medical examiner. Thank you. He is dubbed Doc Hollywood by uh, people that know him because of how much FaceTime he gets discussing criminal cases on TV shows. Oh, no. So let's start that. Okay. The facility he works for is not accredited by the National Association of Medical Examiners. Shockingly, that's not mandatory. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. So this guy is a real piece of work. Eight months after Joanne disappears... Like, well, okay, well, so he does, he does the exam or the, he check he does the autopsy. He says, you know what? Yeah, this woman drowned. Fine. Eight months later, he does another autopsy. I'm sure he did many in between, but he does one for a guy named David Widlack. He missed a very key thing in the exam. <laughs> he labeled this guy as a suicide because this guy was found in a lake somewhere he this guy was also from michigan and the same area that joanne was from and also found in a lake not the same lake but a different lake but still that's still very close but i'm also just glossing over that so he labels this guy as cod he he drowned he killed himself well then it comes forward that somebody looks closer at the body and goes well what about that bullet (laughs) oh my god This poor dude had been shot execution style in the back of the head and the bullet was like lodged in part of his jaw and this guy missed it. Oh, wow. He gets put in front of this board of commission. Um, They're super pissed and they're like, so how did you possibly miss that? He claimed it was the morgue's fault because they have shitty equipment. Well, he actually helped design that morgue and helped choose what was there. So that was a really shitty, it was a shitty excuse because. Oh yeah, throw them under the bus. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He also, the name as they're called, but the National Association of Medical Examiners says that for a forensic pathologist, they shouldn't exceed 250 to 325 autopsies a year. That's like their max. Interesting. This dude this dude admits to doing over 400. What? Which is crazy. So he's clearly just like buzzing through them, whatever. He gets paid so much money, I don't even want to talk about it. Really? So like he get he gets paid a lot. Like he gets he has a contract. He has the specific he's the medical examiner for Macomb County. So he gets like 200 grand a year just for that. He gets more because he does contracts with another county that's nearby. He has like a four-year 
one point something million dollar contract with this other place. He also will go and testify in cases as the medical examiner and gets paid an hourly wage from the prosecutor's office for testifying. So I truly believe this dude just like, let's crank out as many as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Because then it's look how many my numbers are. Yeah. Even when it's sloppy. So this guy also in 2013, the board of commissioners tried to question him about his budget and his operations and he kept avoiding them so much they had to subpoena him just to have a basic conversation. So clearly he's hiding something. Of course. His particular morgue that he works at and runs, essentially, they've come under fire in August of this hellfire year that is 2020. Yeah. Investigators are looking into it. If there is proof that this Dr. Spitz knew what was going on and did nothing about it, he could lose his job. But he wasn't kind of involved as much as other people. Three female employees, which embarrassed me that it was women, they got fired because they were accused of hanging porn in the office, uh, bullying women who complained that there was porn hung up in the office, mocking African-Americans that were inquiring about loved ones. Stop. Which, let's let's just talk about the fact that it's the morgue. They're not there just like, have you seen my friend? Thank God there he is. There we go. They're talking like people who come in because they think somebody they know is dead. And they are just full mocking them. Oh my God. And then, God. this just feels worse to me. They brought a black penis cake to work as a joke the day after... George Floyd was murdered. Stop. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yep. I know. No. There is a lot that's going to enrage you about this. So they did do, I got so, I really like put a stamp on that, like punctuation on the end. And then I got so excited. I moved past another part of my notes. So after this asshat comes in to do an autopsy, The family doesn't trust it. The family pays for a a private autopsy to be done. Shout out to Dr. Jeff Jensen. He was in the episode because he did it right. Right. He puts cause of death as dry drowning because there was no water in her lungs. (sighs) Dry drowning um, is when your vocal cords kind of spasm and close up and shut your airways. So there's no water in your lungs, which means she could have been dead before she hit the water. Yes. So there is that to consider. I also feel like I'm just buzzing through this. So Oh, I'm all for it. Okay. In. First of all, Emmy, Emmy Spitz, who can like honestly go F himself uh, with his you. terrible staff uh-huh. doing her those horrific, horrific things. Yeah, I would say, I'm going to go on a limb and say he has no credibility and, and everything that you've brought forward is great examples of that. And yeah, I wouldn't trust anything that he has to say. I wouldn't trust him doing an yeah. autopsy on a cockroach. Sorry. So, um... I that's... like the idea that someone's like, I want you to do... That sounds like a party game they would play at that office or something. Cockroach autopsy. It totally oh does. Oh, my God. It totally does. Oh, but, my God. Let's um, make that board game. <laughs> it's not going to be well well sold. Um, no, no, it's not. But, yes, that's horrific. And, and thank goodness that they have had somebody to do a proper autopsy because... 
Yeah. I mean, when somebody obviously losing a loved I don't need to explain this, but losing a loved one is so horrible. And losing a loved yeah. one in a, in a mysterious way is, is so much even amplified in that. And then finding out, I'm sure, that, that those are the kind of people who are at the helm of her autopsy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just so gutting. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So thank goodness that they had someone else get on the case who clearly was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to make sure this is done properly. Yeah. Wow. So I, I think, again, I just want to very quickly before we move on, yeah, check in again that it's like, this has been bungled either inadvertently mm-hmm. or deliberately at every single, single step level. of the way. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, where there's smoke, there's fire. Oftentimes, yep. the simplest explanation is the truth. And mm-hmm. if you're trying to tell me that all of this is a coincidence, bullshit. I think yep. it's, I think it's, what what I'm leaning towards already is like calculation. Um, none of this mm-hmm. was a coincidence. Please continue yeah. with what you've got for me. Well, if you think that the quote unquote professionals involved in this are bad, let's talk about her shit family. Oh, huh? yes, please. I've been waiting. For the I've record, been waiting. I think her kids are fine. Sure. But we've got we've got some people to talk about. We're talking now. We're going to get to the other shitty people in her life who aren't specifically in this, but we're we're talking the Matooks. Okay. We're talking her, um, the family that she was raised in. So her parents were William and Louise, and they opened a place uh, called Woods Fine, Fine Wine and Spirits. Some fancy pants, I assume, I don't know, a liquor store. It's been open since 1954. It's huge and very popular. They had five children, uh, Bill, Rosemary, Joanne, John, and Kathy. Kathy, unfortunately or fortunately, isn't really part of our story. So, bye, Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) We're just just not going to, you know, Kathy's fine. Sure. So, Bill and Rosemary, the oldest two kids, decide we're going to, we want to get in on this family wine business. So, they join the store. The father dies in 88. The mother dies in 94. That's when shit goes down. So in the will, they left the store and an estimated $20 million estate because they were, they were like, they made a fortune buying and selling like rare wine and trading vintage wines and stuff like that. So they had some money and it was like, here's the store, here's these millions, divide them amongst the five of you. That's it. Well, it turns out that... The oldest two were then given the the store because the oldest guy, Bill, was the executor of the will. And he just kind of did what he wanted. So he let them have the store because they were already pretty much working there. Uh, John and Joanne never received their share of the money. They accused the older two siblings of stealing millions. So in early 2000s, they ended up taking them to court and they settled for $600,000 apiece as back payment, which I find shocking when you're supposed to get at least like $4 million. Yeah. And you're okay with, like, it just felt like they That's settled weird. because they were done with it. But yeah. Okay. So the court records in the suit allege that the older two siblings 
forged Joanne's signature on documents allowing her inheritance to be put into the stock market. <gasps> Whoa! Yeah, so they're sketchy as hell. Yeah. So this caused so much animosity amongst the siblings. So between 2007 and 2009, Joanne did not speak with either of them. And then at the very, very end, like December 30th of 2009, this is like 13 days before she goes missing, she calls the oldest brother, Bill, and is like, I want to speak to you about our cousin, the cousin Tim, the cop. Yes. Um, who is super close with Bill. So she's like, I want to talk to you about him. And she ends up saying like, I'm terrified of this guy. He just won't leave us alone. He's been harassing because Tim does not get along with the brother John. Right. And John and Joanne are super, super close. So Tim doesn't like John and Tim doesn't like Joanne by association. So he's got an issue, but Bill and Tim are buddies. So she tries to talk to him about it. Nothing ends up happening. Joanne goes missing and Bill refuses to put a missing poster up at the store. Well, that's weird. Uh-huh. A few years later, John, who we will get into, gets evicted from his house because his brother Bill bought it out from under him. Whoa. Yeah, so there is some shit in this family. Yeah. So Bill and Tim say, John is your man. John did this. Tim admitted to a private investigator. He called a tip line uh, to tell them to look at John Matuk as far as the Matuk case goes. So he like tried to throw this poor guy under the bus, which again, we'll get into his own sketchy things. Also in 2015, John and Tim got into a bit of a scuffle at a furniture store. And so Tim took out a restraining order on John. So this family just keeps going. And then in May and September of this year, 2020, yeah, somebody, and we're just assuming it's John, hired private planes to fly around Gross Point with banners that said stuff like, Tim and Bill Matuk, wait until the public finds out who you really are. Oh my God. Another banner asked why the two men refused to take a polygraph test regarding Joanne's death. Because, okay, again, Tim and Bill have refused to take a polygraph. John did volunteer to take a polygraph and he passed. Okay. Very so quickly, something. forgive me, yes. very quickly, in the episode no, of Unsolved Mysteries, was it John that we saw that was inter interviewed? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. John in the show, I watched, I mean, I watched the first time with all of you. Yep. And then I watched it again the first day I go into research, because I always like to watch it again so I can take more comprehensive notes. Of course. And the whole time I'm like, oh, this guy is so sketchy. There's something not right about him. It's He's got to be involved. I came out of this at the end and went, I'm less, I don't, I, he's lower on my list of suspects. Wow. Than everybody else. Because there are so many people that I truly believe. But yeah, he's, he's not an angel. Sure. By any means. But like, well, if we're going to get into suspects. Let's do it. Number one, the ex-husband. David Whoa, Romain. all right, let's get into that. Now, 
he own he co-owns uh, a wholesale food distributor. Okay. Marries Joanne in 1980. They have the three kids. They separated after 25 years because Joanne suspected him of being unfaithful, which he was with her best friend. What? Yeah. For how he long? Also then, I have no idea. He goes on to marry her. Whoa! He is, he is currently married Shut to this up. woman. Shut up! Mm-hmm. There was also um, multiple articles when Joanne first went missing that this woman was interviewed because it was her best friend and was like, she's the glue that holds this family together. I just want, you know, we just want her found all of this. And it's like, you're fucking her man. That's bullshit. I can't. I can't. He took a polygraph test, the ex-husband. Yeah. The results were inconclusive. Whoa. And showed signs of deception. However, the examiner wrote in the report he believes that the deception was related to his infidelity. And I'm going to say, who knows, if the, when, if and hopefully when the truth comes out, hopefully I'm, I'm right, but if I'm, wrong, if I'm wrong, I'll admit to being wrong. Sure. I don't think it's him. Okay. I don't think he has anything to do with it. To me, he has no motive. Because at this time which we will get into later, David and Joanne were plaintiffs in a case. They were suing a company that had built their house and there was black mold found in the house. It's a lawsuit that had been dragging on for years and they were just finally at the point of being in court. And it was like a million dollar lawsuit. So what would he gain from suddenly taking her out at this point? The full million. Well, but if they get rid of her, suddenly now they don't have her as one of the people, as as like she was going to be one of the witnesses in this case. Right, but still, he, yeah. I, I don't know that that exonerates sure. him completely. They showed a photo of this family, and I will find it and post it. I have never seen a more Sopranos-looking bunch <laughs> in my life. Like, the way they're all sitting, they're sure. all dressed in black, like, the hand on a shoulder, like, the whole thing. It screams mob. But, I mean, again, well, we'll get to that. So, I just, I don't know. I'm just convinced that he doesn't have anything to do with it. I guess the full million is something, but it just, I also don't think the cops would be quick to cover anything for him. Sure. So that's part of my reason, because I feel like the cops are involved, but we'll we'll get to that quickly. So there's her brother, John. Uh, in the 90s, he founded an environmental cleanup company and made a small fortune. He was on a 40 under 40 list by Detroit Business Magazine. So the series made it seem like he was like low down, had so many money problems. But yeah. at one point he was successful. But then he made some bad investments right. and he had some fallout with business partners and friends and then the economy kind of tanked and so suddenly he's got some unpaid gambling debts. He was indicted and convicted of a $25,000 check kiting scam. Oh. scam. He blames his brother Bill and his cousin Tim for all of his misfortunes. He thinks they poisoned the well, told lies and pulled strings, and turned people against me. Okay, sure. He volunteered to take a polygraph when Joanne went missing. He passed. 
Great. So that's something. He was in financial debt and <laughs> had a number of personal and business squabbles, we'll say, at the time she went missing. He had numerous, numerous tax liens and judgments on him. At the time of her disappearance, he had about $600,000 in tax liens or in judgments. Also at the time of her disappearance, and I will need somebody in like real estate to help me figure out all of what this meant, but he had not one but two foreclosures that totaled $82 million in judgment. $82 million in judgments. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, he did even on the show admit that early on in her disappearance, he thought he might have been indirectly involved with the disappearance. Right. Because he's in with the mob. Shut up. We have commented on a previous episode about like, maybe it was the mob. And this time I'm fucking screaming because I did a background check on this John and uh, I looked up everybody he was associated with and I get to a particular gentleman where is he named uh, Nunzio Provenzano if if I may I'm sure I'm 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 not I'm not built for Italian names um so I look up this Nunzio and he's an injury lawyer but he's the brother of this guy named Anthony Tony Pro Provenzano. Now, Tony Pro is a captain in the New Jersey faction of the Genovese crime family, which is one of five crime families in that area. There is very open about it. Like, they, it's, they're Jesus. legit the mob. I'm not even like, maybe it's the mob. It's the fucking mob. Like, they, Jesus. They are known for racketeering, murder, extortion, illegal gambling, drug trafficking, loan sharking, bookmaking, fraud, prostitution, assault, bribery, like all of it. And I do want to step back briefly just to be like, so my, I've, I've been looking into the mob a lot. And it turns out I live for the mob nicknames because, you know, it's always somebody. <laughs> and then in quotes, like it, this was like an Anthony Tony Pro Provenzano. And so I wrote down a few of my favorites to share. Please. I did not write their full name. Just the just the just the little in brackets or in quotes part, because these parts made me laugh so hard there's like a lot of Vinnies and Paulies and Mikey's and that kind of thing but then you get one guy who's like the nose or Porky <laughs> or uh, Vinny TV Joe Bananas Johnny Skyway the Artichoke King <laughs> Benny Eggs Johnny Sausage Tony Ducks Louie Bagels Gas pipe, goo goo, spaghetti man, bean hands. <laughs> no, and no. My, my personal favorite, and I wrote his full name out because it has to be said all together because I just don't understand it. Eugene Boopsy Castell. <laughs> <laughs> this oh my god is easily 
the, my favorite research I've ever done. Well, it's funny to me that like these yeah. are the toughest guys who have like the longest rap yeah. sheets and their yeah. names are like booby doop doop Yeah. I just also want to know if Benny Eggs and Johnny Sausage are friends or like They twins. gotta be. They gotta they be, gotta right? be. But like, who's gonna run when they're like, oh God, it's Joe Bananas. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry, Joe Bananas. I actually should have looked into it. Come for us. I should have looked into how threatening us. these people were before I mentioned okay. their names. So, yeah. all right. So we've got we've got to start to wrap things up soon because, yes. I mean, again, I know we could do this forever. But yes. so what you're telling me is that her brother, John, has yes. this connection to the mob. That is a fact. There so are that multiple feels... other people in the mob that are also connected to him as well. Unbelievable. So, so, yes. so as he kind of alluded in the episode, it's like, oh, I hope this wasn't to do with me mm-hmm. because I have these mob ties and they could have come after her because they knew how close how close John and Joanne were. And yes. that, that, of course, would be a huge deal for him. Yes. There's another mob guy that he's connected to who was a bookmaker. He owed, he claims that he owed this guy about a hundred grand. Sources say it was closer to like 200. Mm. There is also a video from a security camera in 2013. Somebody has posted it to YouTube of this mob guy pushing John. And he goes like tumbling into a, on the pavement at a car wash. So obviously there's an issue there. But we're looking at like mobs now, right? Yeah. John also admits to being close friends with this guy before he got pushed. And he loaned this guy like half a million dollars at one point. Oh, back boy. When, back when John had money. But <laughs> there, so there's obviously mob involved. Well, they say that in like days leading up to her disappearance, Joanne met with the FBI. They say she had meetings at a restaurant with them. They will neither confirm nor deny that. Wow. But what if, what if they were trying to like get her to do some work, get some info for them, something like that, you know? So overall, Mm -hmm. because there's so much and I know there's way more and I hate to cut it short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what do you think your overall theory is? I kind of think that the cousin Tim has to be involved in some way. Yeah. I think, I mean, he was once referred to by somebody. Someone asked what Tim was like and he went, I don't know. You ever see the movie Training Day? That doesn't paint the best picture. No. So, I mean, uh, Joanne was also terrified of him. She said, if something ever happens to me, look to him. Um, At one point... Tim said he could uh, make her disappear and no one would ever find her. Tim's ex-wife, Barbara, admitted he once threatened to kill her and she truly believed he could do it. So people are already like, this guy isn't right. Joanne kept her kids away from him their whole lives. She said he was sick and depraved. So I have no idea what other kind of shit went down in that family. But I think it has something to do with Tim and something to do with the cops because the cops, oh yeah, I gotta hit this one thing on the cops. Please. Um, I love that I can't really find it, but we know I'm gonna remember. So Joanne is found when her body is found, she has keys zipped in her pocket. 
Yes. She's not found until March. She goes missing January 12th. The very next day on January 13th, the police, specifically Officer Frank Zelinsky, approaches the family and is like, great news, we found her keys. And they give them a set of keys. To which the kids go, those aren't the keys she had on her. Six weeks before this, around Thanksgiving, they were in the middle of trying to sell their house and Joanne's keys went missing during one of the real estate showings. Shut up. The keys she was using the night she disappeared and had been using since her keys went missing were a spare set. But the keys they that this cop found had a key to her car and a key to the house. But he gave them the keys and they were like, well, where did you get these? He had to be uh, in a deposition. He had to do like file reports and all of this stuff. He says he just doesn't remember who sent him to retrieve the keys, where he retrieved them from, or who he interacted with when retrieving them. Okay. Like that's some full shit, right? Yes! Yes! There's something, like, come on. Like, I don't know. And also the fact that Tim won't take a polygraph is another uh, big thing for me. But uh, that, this whole thing with the keys, come on. The cops got to be part of this. I think Tim is part of this. I don't know what he wants. I don't, I have no idea why he would want her dead. Right. But something has to do with him. I don't like suicide. Obviously, it's not suicide. It's very obvious it wasn't. She could not have possibly accidentally fallen into the lake. She no. couldn't have like walked no. across the street and stumbled. It was no. too far. The fo- the water was super shallow. She was in dark clothing. She would have been seen fairly easily. So there's yes. no way she was in that lake at that time. Her and her ex-husband were part of a uh, civil suit that was worth like a million dollars against this building company. The building company has terrible reviews. People say their work is atrocious. They changed the name of the company legally about six times in the last five years. Whoa. Um, they, the, their CEO, his record is clean, but he uses multiple spellings and variations of his name in different places. So I just feel like he's hiding something. So the case dragged on for seven years and was finally right. in front of a jury. When Joanne went missing... Family and friends said she was in good spirits because the case seemed like it was shifting in favor of them. Um, she was scheduled to testify the next morning. Shut up! So she went missing the night before she was supposed to testify. Come on! So is it possible somebody in this had something to do with her so that she, yes! they wouldn't have to put out the million? Are of they possibly part of the... Is it them and the mob or is it them and did they pay off cops to help them? Or I just, there's just so much that it's insane and my brain is going to implode. And I mean, my God, like I just, to me, something about this case, like what are the odds she would go missing the day before she's supposed to be on a witness stand? Like that's movie level shit right there. Oh yeah. So I think there's something about that and I mean, I feel like the cops have multiple times proven they've got to be part of this somehow. Absolutely. Somehow. Like, they, they, the case was just so poorly investigated 
and to find like evidence and be like, oh, it's fine and not test it and then just give it away and ignore people who were witnesses in there at the time and then lie to other authorities and say she had a lot of mental issue problems and mental health problems and that's why she's probably it's just probably suicide it's fine and like the family shouldn't have to buy extra autopsies because the other people of course course. and that was the third one which is also horrifying that horrifying so yeah i that's where i'm standing right now i got you cops and these mold people i think you're totally right so much great information. Obviously, we have to wrap this up. We could do, yeah. I'm sure, multiple episodes about this. Is there anything Absolutely. you haven't hit? Do you feel like you've hit on everything that you that you have researched? I just want to make sure that you have a chance to get out absolutely everything. I'm yeah. wringing the face cloth dry. Yeah. I feel I feel like that's it. Like there's okay. there's a lot. Again, we could sure. do a 10-part series. But I think, I mean, the fact that the cops... The day after she goes missing, suddenly have keys that went missing from her house month like a month before. That's sketchy as hell. Yes. Them getting rid of evidence without testing it is sketchy. Yes. Them releasing evidence to the family without testing it is sketchy. The photos of inside the car, which I will post, are just like the car is just covered in white powder. And so it's like you're not like even I know that wasn't doing it properly. Right. I mean, if you're a police officer and you do this for a living and you see yeah. these photos, tell me. Tell me if yeah. that's how you do it. Because it Absolutely. doesn't look it just looks terrible to me. And so yeah, I think those keys being found, these witnesses that they're ignoring, and the fact that she was supposed to testify in a million dollar civil suit. Yeah. The very next day, I feel like there's just so much to that. And that's also why I think the ex husband isn't involved. Because sure, he might want the money for himself, but wouldn't he wait till it's getting closer? Like, because at this point, they've already waited seven years. Yeah. So if he kills her, that's got to delay it even longer. So wouldn't he want it to hurry up and get that money? Great point. So I don't know. Great point. I think there's a combination of dirty cops and, and mob guys, which... I shouldn't be, but I'm really excited that there's like we have we have touched on like maybe it's the mob, and now it's like it's the fucking like I screamed at my husband. I was like, we've said it before, but this time I'm like, it's legit the fucking mob. Like oh, there yeah. are multiple yeah. people in this guy's life have are so open about it. It's 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 bananas. There's just absolutely I just can't you know. Well, listen. Yeah. If you have a theory, dear listeners, you're listening to this, are you screaming right now, talking to us? Email us, theories <laughs> at truecrimeatcocktails.com. Mm-hmm. We want to hear from you. Christy, your research, as always, top-notch, unbelievable. I fully agree with you. I think that there is a lot to be said for her cousin. The mob really does feel like it's involved, and that yeah. is, yes, terrifying, but also very exciting in our world. <laughs> so yes. I thank you so much for all of your research. It's been a real as joy. I, as I always do. Thank you. I know we could yeah. do so many more episodes about this. And listen, yeah. maybe we will. Maybe there'll be a follow-up. Email us. As I said, go to our, our Instagram page, True Crime and Cocktails, if you want to see some of the visuals. Go to our website, truecrimeandcocktails.com. You'll see more case files. You'll see the unedited Zoom videos. If you'd like to watch that, they're there. So many great things. Follow us on Twitter, at Not Detectives, on Facebook, at True Crime and Cocktails. Christy, do you have any last words? Do you want to say goodbye to the people? What do you got for me? Well, yeah, just bye, everyone. We love you a lot. Just to so we're clear. 
We so do. And so listen, much this, love. Is, this so has much. been such a fun episode for me because this, again, was my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. You did not disappoint. Not that I ever thought that you would. But it was truly, truly unbelievable. I look forward to updates on this case. I hope we can do yeah. update episodes about this case because there is so much stuff. But we thank you all so very much for listening. And we want to tease that the next episode we have coming is... Tsunami Spirits. That's right. We'll see you then. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.